Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So, can we please open up our Bibles, if that's all right, uh, to the fourth book in your Bible, uh, Numbers. And so, if you don't have a Bible, as always in the front, it's already open at the right space. If you don't have one, just quickly put up your hand if you still need a Bible. So, if you open up your Bible, first page, you'll get Genesis, and then Exodus, and then Leviticus, and then this book called Numbers. So, Numbers chapter 9. And so, friends, this is it. This is our last sermon in the series called Move. And we've been saying every week, the Doxa family has got this simple heart, the simple dream that we want to raise up city changers. And that's what we've been doing over the last 25 years. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who have this desire to see the cities that they live in transformed to the glory of God through their work and their marriage and their life and their vocation. And so we've been planting these churches, or we call them campuses, all around South Africa and abroad, and now the newest one right here in Hatfield, we said, God, there are four things that we feel so strongly about that we want to see come to fruition in this church over the next couple of years, and hopefully by now you've heard me saying them week in, week out. So one last time, we said, number one, that we want to be a community for the community, deeply committed to family that goes on mission together. Secondly, so important in a deeply divided city like Pretoria, we want to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. Thirdly, we said that we want to have a heart for the unchurched and the de-churched, those who do not yet know Jesus. And finally, we said that in everything we do, we want to make sure that we would have a passionate pursuit in the way that we run after God. And we've been saying every week that you notice that those things are not things that we can just simply do ourselves. You just don't start an organization and suddenly these things just appear out of nowhere. You can't slogan your way there. You can't plan or strategize your way simply to these things. No, we realized early on that God will have to do these things in us. God will have to move us from the inside out. We won't make this happen on our own. And so we realized in order to see some of these things happening over the next couple of years, there are some conversations we need to have. God will have to move us in certain aspects of our heart and posture, and some of those things are exciting, and some of those things are uncomfortable, I am sure. And we've been opening up those conversations over the last five weeks, and they will continue on over the next many years. And today we want to have the last such conversation. God, will you move us? Now, quick experiment. Join me if you can. Let's see how long you can hold your breath, just for a second. So, three, two, one, join me. Now, just hold it. If you can hold it for 11 minutes and 35 seconds, congratulations, you will have tied the world record, right? No, you can breathe. That's fine. You can breathe. So, far from 11 minutes, I'm sure... But even just those couple of seconds, would you agree that you already started experiencing that deep discomfort on the inside, right? As that CO2 is building up on the inside, your, the respiratory part of your brain is telling you, I need a breath, and you need to do something about it. And if you were to leave it, your body will start sending even stronger signals, and eventually you will start getting these convulsions to signal to you, I need to breathe. I was listening to this, this man, he's a coach who for a living teaches people how to hold their breath for minutes at a time, 
And he speaks about one of his students whose life was saved because he got pulled into a rip current under the water in the ocean, and he was underwater for a very long period of time. And he says how this man, exactly as his coach taught him, he said that he at one stage started experiencing these deeply uncomfortable spasms, but he knew that if he takes a breath now, he's dead. So he had to push through that discomfort in the short term in order to find life on the other side. When you push through some of the the short-term discomfort, something truly spectacular and beautiful awaits on the other side. And I want us just to hold that thought. Keep that in mind as we read the scripture this morning and as we enter into this final conversation that God will have to do in our hearts. So Numbers chapter 9, last week, uh, for the first time, these two actually kind of follow on each other in our series. Last week, we spoke from Exodus 35, the Israelites journeying with God, and he commands them to build this tent-like structure um, called the tabernacle. And now from a, a different book and a different angle, we're seeing what happens next. So verse 15, it says this. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. Now the cloud represents something of the presence of God. We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. But we've said in the past that he can also kind of especially manifest his presence if he so chooses. And for the Israelite journey in the desert, that took the form of this cloud now hovering over the tabernacle. So it says, it covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and it appeared like fire above the tabernacle from evening until morning. So at night, basically. It remained that way continuously. The cloud would cover it and appearing like fire at night. Now, whenever the cloud was lifted up above the tent, the Israelites would set out. At the place where the cloud stopped, the Israelites camped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at the Lord's command, they camped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they camped. And when the cloud stayed over the tabernacle many days, the Israelites carried out the Lord's requirements and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud remained over the tabernacle for only a few days. They would camp out at the Lord's command and set out at the Lord's command. Sometimes the cloud would remain only from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. If it remained a day and a night, and here's our phrase again for every week, They moved out when the cloud lifted. Whether it was two days, a month, or longer, the Israelites camped and did not set out as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. But when it was lifted, they set out. They camped at the Lord's command, and they set out at the Lord's command. Now, I'm sure that as I'm reading through this, you already are joining me in the almost repetitious way that this passage, it's almost like a song-like, poetic-like repetition. Because it's trying to make the simple point that for the Israelites in their desert season, God was teaching them the simple principle. What does it mean to follow the will and the presence of God no matter the cost? It was simple. And so when he camped, They camped. When he set out, they set out. And three times it says, at the Lord's command, they stayed. At the Lord's command, they went. So the presence of God was something that they understood in time. They had to learn this as we have to learn. 
that there are many good things out there in life, but it's only in God that you truly find joy and fulfillment and purpose and identity and truth. And for them to stick close to God was to find those things. But I mean, in their season, and I guess that's simple, if God is an actual cloud, His presence that you can quite literally follow, it's very practical. But in the New Testament, for us as Christians, things look very differently. In John 1, when it speaks of Jesus becoming, you know, God becoming flesh, and it says, He dwelt among us. That word dwelt in Greek is literally, He tabernacled. He set up a tent among us. This God, who is progressively coming closer and closer to mankind, is now in the form of man. Such a crazy thought. But then Jesus goes further, and he teaches by the end of his ministry in John 14 that when he leaves, the Spirit of God would come, and he would not be close to us or near us, but he would actually remain in us. Now my presence would literally take up residence in you as an individual if you're a Christian. And it's not just individually. Paul then says later in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't you know that you and that you is plural in the Greek. He's not saying you, because we often think, you know, you are the temple of God, so don't smoke and get tattoos. That's how some people teach that text. I think it's wrong. I think the point is you, church, are my temple, and my presence resides in you. So we see now that the presence of God is no longer a cloud. The presence of God is in us individually and collectively. And so the question becomes, what now does it mean to actually follow God wherever He goes, if His presence is in us? And I think as you read the New Testament, you come to this conclusion, it means this. It means saying, God, whatever it is that you want to do in your people and through your people, we are willing to follow. God, for the sake of what you want to do in us as individuals, as Christians, in our marriages, in our relationships, in my life, in my work, wherever you want to go, God, we will follow. But what you want to do through us, through our lives and marriages and through our church, through our vocations, what you want to do, where you go, God, we will follow. Where your will takes, we will go. Now, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? We're all like, yes, we're going to be the kind of people individually and collectively that when God sets out, we will follow Him. But here's the challenge that this scripture makes so clear. Do you know that the one thing that's the common denominator in this whole passage, you know what that thing is? Discomfort. Did you see it in the repetition? The constant discomfort that it creates. When God says go, we go. When He says stay, we stay. And so there was discomfort on a practical level. On the one hand, it's practical. I mean, think about it. These are hundreds and thousands of people in the desert having to set up their tents and their structures. And then God says, now wait. And we set up and we do it. And then He says go. Then you pack up and you, you walk in again. And we back on the trot. That's very uncomfortable. Now, I'm not much of a, of a great camping guy. I know, I know Malcolm is quite a champ when it comes to camping. But I remember as a young boy going to this thing we call in Afrikaans, the Beitelig school. And we were like two young boys stuffed into like a one-man tent with your bags. And it rained the evening. So the next morning, our tent had literally fallen in on us. It was deeply uncomfortable. 
Um, we got blessed at one stage in our marriage with this massive canvas tent. That thing filled up my whole boot of my car. It was incredibly heavy to carry. It was incredibly difficult. All of our friends would bring like these little like camping, you know, tents that you can put like in a, in a cappuccino mug pretty much. And we would lug around this massive canvas tent. It was deeply uncomfortable getting this thing up and running. And God says, no, set it down. We're going again. There was issues of practical discomfort, but also of time. Did you notice that it says sometimes we stay for a month? Sometimes we stay for two days or a week. Sometimes it's just the evening. God says we're just here for the evening and now we're going again. So the Israelites could never settle in. They could never be people of comfort saying, let's set up, you know, the jacuzzi and get the hammer going and Netflix is on because we are just going to settle in. Because guess what? Maybe tomorrow morning God says, no, here we go again. So time-wise, it was also uncomfortable. Have you found that whether it's in marriage or relationships, I found that God often puts together a get-it-done and a when-it's-done person when it's with regard to time. Have you found that? So when you need to leave the house, one person says, get it done, and the other person says, when it's done. And so our times are different. That's uncomfortable. Have you found that? That's deeply uncomfortable. Um, you know, the other day we wanted to have fiber installed at our flat and they phoned me. They said, listen, you have to stay home, you know, from the office because we're going to come and do the work. And I say, when? They say, no, after lunch. So just be at home after lunch. I'm thinking like, how do, what, what does that mean? Like, I, I can't do a meeting in the middle of my afternoon because after lunch, they're going to do their work. So time-wise, it can be deeply uncomfortable. So whether issues of tents or issues of time, there was deep discomfort in following God. Now, can I tell us something, Dr. Hetfield? That when it comes to this issue, God, we are willing to follow you in spite of discomfort. When a church gets that into their core DNA, something truly beautiful starts forming. You know why? Because then a church starts saying, God, for the sake of family and for the sake of mission, we are willing to go wherever you say we should go. And that can be geographical, spiritual, emotional. That can be the deep inner workings of how we do church. God, what you say goes, and we will follow. And what I want to challenge us with is the Israelites realized that it was on the other side of this discomfort they had to face that something truly spectacular in understanding of God waited for them. I want to challenge us that in this journey of Ducks at Hatfield, there will be some truly uncomfortable things. But if we can, like our friend in the rip current, if we can say, God, we are willing to stomach some of the discomfort and push through it, I believe some truly spectacular things await us on the other side. So I want to make this practical for you. I'm going to take this morning just two of our four, those things we want to see happening in the church, and I just want to make it practical for you to see what we should expect and how we can trust God for it. So let's take this first one. We said that we want to be a community for the community. We want to be a community for the community. You know, Genesis 1.26, God speaks and he says, let us make man in our image. Notice the plural there. God is saying, let us make man. 
See, there's something so profound about God that God into eternity has been one in essence, but three in person. It's one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith, this thing we call the Trinity. But what it means, as Tim Keller would say, is the Trinity means that God is in essence community. God is community. Long before anything was created, God was perfectly satisfied in who He is. And so when he then creates, when he extends that circle of relationship and he says, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, what do you think will be one of the deepest needs that the human heart has? It's the need for community, the need to know and to be known. It's one of the deepest rooted needs that we have. We are made like God, and therefore often you will see the pattern in the Bible of going against the will of God, against the design of God, against the flourishing of God. That's often called sin. That very often goes hand in hand with isolation. Sin and going against the patterns of God will always leave us isolated and on our own. God says, I've made you to walk with and be with and journey with people. But our fleshly nature or sin will encourage us to say, no, do life on your own. Your finances, your sexuality, your marriage, your career, do this on your own. Figure it out on your own. It's almost like this, you know, this 1995 movie called Heat and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro plays this cold, steely assassin type in this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a nail-biting movie. And in this movie, he says that he's vowed to never go into a relationship that he's not able to break off and walk away from in 30 seconds. That's the kind of life that he lives. And when I hear that, I often feel that sometimes in the church, you get the same feeling. <laughs> God, we want to be a people. We want to be a family. We want to be a deeply knitted community together. But I want to be able to walk away in 30 seconds flat if I need to. I don't think that's how God has created us. He has not created us to live in such artificial connection with one another. He's created us like He is, with a deep need for community together. No, 1 John 1 verse 7 says this. It says, If we walk in the light, notice the if, as he himself is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. So it means we can have friendship, we can be acquaintances, we can have great moments around the bride or do a whole bunch of social things together. But John says it's only when we are living in the light with each other, then we start digging into this beautiful thing called true Christian community and fellowship. In fact, Hebrews puts it so strong. The writers of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us watch out for one another. And he says, we have to provoke one another toward love and good works. That word in the Greek is actually, it means to irritate or to strongly disagree with that word provoke. Friends, do you know that you need to have people in your life that are so bought into what God wants to do in your life spiritually that they are willing to strongly disagree with you at times. To say, I think you are forsaking your calling that God has upon you. I think you are throwing away some of the inheritance that God has for you. I want to, in love and truth, strongly disagree with you. 
Do you think that's going to take place once every three weeks here on a Sunday for an hour and a half? That you and I will have strong disagreements about the calling that God has upon you? I don't think so. No, if we are to love one another, encourage one another, all the one another's in the New Testament, we have to firstly what? Know one another. We have to be in community together. And so we've been saying, I think our community groups is the first step in this church to digging into that value. We actually have to know each other. But can I just throw it out there, if you haven't figured it out already, do you know that that is deeply uncomfortable? (laughs) Do you know that fellowship, true Christian community, is deeply uncomfortable? Guys, I am a creature of comfort. You can ask my wife. My biggest value in life is to just stay comfortable, and community makes me deeply uncomfortable. That's why I've placed myself in it season in, season out, life phase in, life phase out, because I need it. This is part of God's design in my life. This week at Community Group on Wednesday, we were wrestling through this thing of generosity, It was uncomfortable, friends, I promise you. We were at Nick and Tasha's place on Friday speaking about the fact that in their own journey, at one stage, it was much easier to say, no, we'll just just do life on our own. We'll figure this Christian thing out on our own. And now the discovery to say we don't want to do that. We want to have God's people in our lives. But guess what? It asks us to give up some of the comforts in our lives to open up our homes and our lives, to open up our hearts, it's deeply uncomfortable. But when you push through that discomfort, I've seen time and time again, there is something so incredible on the other side. You know, Shay and I, a couple of years ago, we had made some really stupid financial decisions. And we were wrestling in isolation, trying to figure out how we will fix this. And then in the church, there was a young adult couple, friends of ours, and they came to us and said, let us help you. He was a financial planner. And so we had to sit and hear to, like it says of Jesus, who was full of grace and full of truth, they had to graciously and truthfully tell us, guys, this is not good. You are going to hurt yourselves and your future financially if you keep doing X, Y, and Z. This is a better way, and because we love you, we will tell it to you. Now, as I'm speaking, does that sound at all comfortable to you? Do you know how uncomfortable it was to have to open up our budget to this couple and say, this is how far we've gotten. This is what we think is good. And having to hear the gracious and truthful words from them. But guess what? Pushing through that discomfort now years later, the blessing of that is so incredible. God is calling us to truly be a family that goes on mission together. Don't live in isolation. Push through the discomfort. But how about the second one? We're saying that we want to be a multi-ethnic and a multi-generational church. Listen to what Jesus prays in John 17. This is just before his whole, his kind of, you know, the Passion Week, and he's, he's saying this. He says, I pray not only for these, in other words, his own disciples, his followers, but he says, I, I also pray for those who believe in me through their words. In other words, for all disciples of all time. That includes you and I. And what does Jesus pray for us? He says, may they all be 
one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you've given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus was deeply convinced that the way that a world that does not believe in God, that does not believe in the work of Jesus, the way that a city that is crippled by spiritual lostness and social pain and systemic brokenness, how a city and a world like that will come to the knowledge of who Christ is, he says the most powerful thing to do that is what? When there is true unity amongst my people. When people from all ages and backgrounds and ethnicities and languages and socioeconomic statuses come together around the throne. He says, when all of the people of the city, when we are not simply a church in the city, but we are a church that looks like the city. That every single person, regardless of your background or age or wherever it is that you come from, what you speak or what you do, it's only when we start walking together, worshiping together, working together, that's when the world will see that God is who He says He is. And what Christ has done is the truth. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., the the famous American activist in the civil rights movement, He once famously scolded the church when saying this. He said, I think it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I remember the first time I heard that, I immediately thought that is so applicable to South Africa. Why is it that in 2020, one of the most segregated hours in the city of Pretoria is on a Sunday morning? I want to say it should not be so. Because compare that statement to what we see in the book of Revelation. John the Revelator is wrestling with the visual steroids that God is pumping into his heart about something of the end of all things. But at one stage, listen to what he grasps, and this is so profound for me. This is the heart of God. It says in verse 9 of chapter 7, After this I looked. And there was a vast multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language which no one could number standing before the throne. That's unity, friends. In verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Now I ask you with tears in my eyes, if the new heavens and earth, if heaven is not segregated, why would it be that way today? No, God says, I want to bring all of us together to walk together, to worship together, to work together. But again, I want to say, maybe you sit there and you think, yes, that sounds so awesome. We are going to be a church that looks like the city. Can I tell you something? That journey is going to be deeply uncomfortable. It's going to be deeply uncomfortable. Do you know why? Because when you stick with what you know, it's so much more comfortable. Would you agree? 
people who look like me, who speak like me, who come from backgrounds like me, who grew up like me, whose parents run in the same circles. When we stick together, things are safe and clinical and comfortable. And I'm not saying anything against that. What I am saying is when you choose the roots of saying, no, God, the people from every part of the city, we are choosing the root of discomfort. And the call will be, but push through the discomforts, because on the other side, you're going to find something so spectacularly beautiful. So can I challenge you? You would have found here in Hatfield, we are but in the baby steps of this journey. But we are setting aside intentionally certain comforts for the sake of unity. How about language? Do you know that not many people sitting here this morning has English as their first language? Do you know that? I'm one of those people. I'm an Afrikaans guy from the free state. So we are all making a common sacrifice to say, you know what? I don't like having to speak in English. My brain is literally fried by the end of the service because I have to think like three times as much just as you guys have to do in our community groups. But the reality is this. We've said we are choosing English because it is the one bridge in the country of South Africa that can hopefully bring together all of God's people around the throne. So yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, we fall over our words and we say stupid things, but we will push through them because on the other side, the kingdom of God awaits and His blessing. I want you to even just think, friends, if you haven't think. If you haven't thought about this yet, is the, the spiritual significance of Hatfield as an area. Have you thought about that? Because we are literally like the stitching that brings all these different parts of the city of Pretoria together. We've already seen that, and I'm prophesying again this morning over us that we would see much more of it. Because what we have seen and what we are trusting for more and more is that we are seeing people from Waterkloof and Brooklyn and Menlo Park. We see them coming into this church. And we see people more from the north, from Queenswood and Colburn coming into this church. And we see from the students in, in Hatfield and further west into the inner city. We see people coming together in this church. We see people coming from the east, from Ferry Glen and beyond coming to this church. This is a space, literally this morning, physically, that represents the spiritual coming together of people in the city. And so I want to challenge us. We, as you can see, we are in the season of searching for a new venue. We can't stay here for many months more. But I want to encourage you from the get-go, we are not going to be a suburban church anytime soon, friends. That's not our calling. Some churches are called for that. That's not our calling in the season, to go and settle in a suburb somewhere. We are an urban church. And so if you felt this morning, man, the venue, it's uncomfortable. The parking and the smells and the this and the that, friends. When we got here this morning, the police literally had to break up a couple, literally fighting with each other. Um, you know, there was a physical scuffle between someone at the door. As we got here, there was an event on Friday. There was literally like... Uh, runny refuse bags, the whole of the entrance. And our crew had to literally take those things, throw them away, and wash this whole passageway. The screens, when we walked in here this morning, they were just done for. Nothing was working. And I thought to myself, is this just by accident? Or as we speak about comfort, is God saying, yes, push through. If you are doing the right thing, the opposition will be there. 
So I say even our next building, wherever it be, it will have to represent something of the coming together of these different worlds and people and places. And we're never going to do discomfort for the sake of discomfort. Please hear me. Like, we're never going to, if we can buy an aircon, we'll buy an aircon. We won't like, no, let's just keep it warm just to make everyone extra uncomfortable. Like, we won't do that. But where there's discomfort for the sake of family, where there's discomfort for the sake of mission, God, what do you want to do in us? What do you want to do through us? We will embrace it. And I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to journey with us so that you would embrace it in your life? May the faces that sit around your table week in and week out in your house, are you willing to see those faces change in age or in ethnicity for the sake of becoming family? Are we willing to let go of some pet peeves in, 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 in worship and in song? It's always going to be either too loud or too soft for all of us. If it's an age thing, it's either, you know, the jeans will always be too, too baggy or too tight. It's never, going to be, it's never going to be exactly what we all want. And God is saying, that's the point. Because this is not about you or me individually. It's about us and it's about the city. You know, there's this guy, Mark DeMars, he leads a global network that works toward multi-ethnic church. And he says this, he says, the way you get comfortable in a healthy multi-ethnic church is to realize that you go, man, I'm uncomfortable here. He says, we embrace that tension. And that's very different from church where you are trying to make everybody comfortable. Guys, we are not trying to make everyone comfortable comfortable. We are saying, God, for your sake, man, this is uncomfortable. I think of last year when we just started this journey, the first, one of the first things we did was we preached through the book of Philippians because we felt it spoke so clearly to us as a church and us as a city. And we, we told that story of these different people that God saves and they come into the church. And one of them was Lydia, the high-powered businesswoman. She, she comes to know Jesus. She comes into the church. And then you have this previously, you know, uh, demon-possessed slave girl. She comes to know Jesus and comes into the church. And then you have this blue-collar ex-military jailer. He comes to know Jesus and he comes into the church. And I think we read those stories and we think, oh, it must have been so, just so nice. You know, they just all got along from day one. It was just kumbaya and beautiful. And I don't think so, friends. Can we just speculate that maybe Lydia at one stage is struggling with pride? Because she's saying, listen, I am making the biggest financial contribution. I'm carrying this church financially. Like, where's everyone else in this? Can I imagine that this, this poor slave girl being abused for most of her life don't She doesn't trust men. And now she's thrust into this community of people together that she struggled with that. Can I imagine that this ex-military man, he's probably one of those guys, he likes the truth. We need to speak the truth, friends. But he's a hard-edged guy, and God had to come and sand down some of his hard edges. To become a community of diverse people is not a comfortable journey. But I want to say that our city needs it. And our country needs it. Just Mark Demise again, just to finish off. He says, for an increasingly diverse and cynical society. Man, that sounds like parts of South Africa at the moment. Diverse, but yet so cynical about what's happening. He says, people will no longer find credible the message of God's love for all people when it's proclaimed from segregated churches. We are saying, God, we are willing 
to push through the discomfort for your sake. Now, to finish off this morning, I just want to ask us this question, and, and Manalisi so beautifully touched upon it this morning in the worship, and I'll pray before, and he just said, man, where will we get the, the motivation, the energy, the inner strength to do this? How will we do this? Because I want to tell you, if we are just going to stomach discomfort by sheer, you know, just grit and force of religiosity, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be tired and disappointed and disillusioned with this church. God, I tried, and I did it, and it didn't work, and I'm angry. No, we need to find hope and strength from some other place. And I want to direct you just for a second. Just listen to what it says in Matthew 26. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows exactly what's, what's about to happen. He has this incredibly brutal crucifixion waiting for him. There is this moment where the father turns his face from him. And Jesus, it says in verse 38, was deeply grieved to the point even of death. That is deep discomfort. And he prays three times to his father. And he says, Father, may this cup pass from me. This cup represents to drink to the very fullness of the brokenness and death and sin of mankind. He says, God, let this cup pass from me. But all three times he ends it with this. He says, but if not, God, let your will be done. God, if it is through this discomfort we go, then let your will be done. In fact, Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, we can be people of discomfort because we serve the God who embraced discomfort for our sake. When confronted with our death and sin and rebellion and brokenness, God did not say, I will sidestep it or miss it or ignore it or reject you. He said, I will enter straight into it so that you would be saved, redeemed, renewed, so that you would know your calling that I've made you for. Now, I think of, has anyone watched that movie, Captain Phillips? Tom Hanks is in this role. True story. These mariners are taken, they, they're taken hostage by these Somali pirates. And this poor, this captain, man, he just goes, it's a nail bite. I mean, your fingers are like stubs by the end of this movie. And this, this last scene where, when the, the Navy SEALs come to rescue these people, it's just, it's nail biting stuff. And this poor captain who's gone through such a, an up and down journey, when finally he is rescued and he's in the arms of this, this medic who's just checking that he's okay. And for the first time he realizes it's over. She just tells him, you're okay now. You are safe now. And this man is so broken with emotion. He is so torn apart. He literally falls apart. And all he can utter in that moment is thank you, thank you, thank you. Friends, we have a God who, when confronted with the brokenness and the sin and the death of our condition as mankind, said, I will step right into it, onto that cross, so that you, as you embrace Jesus through faith and trust, as you lay down your life before Him, that you would hear His words saying, you are safe now. And our response in that is simply this, God, thank you. 
We can't repay you. We didn't earn this. But our thank you is simply this, God, that we will embrace the discomfort. So can we stand together this morning? We're going to just respond as the worship team will be joining us. And every week we have one of these move statements. And we're going to finish off our series just by reading this last one together. And just responding in worship and just saying, God, will you move us? And so for the last time then, this is our thought. This is God. This is what we want to see happening in our lives. Jesus, will you move us in comfort? so that we would fearlessly and faithfully follow you wherever true family and radical mission requires us to go. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, we simply pray that you would fill us, God, with so much of the truth and the grace of your cross that we would be astounded just once again, God, by what you have done and what you continue to do. God, that as we would become more and more of the church that you've destined us to be, God, as individuals and corporately, we say, God, will you lead us straight through those discomforts onto your will and your presence and your kingdom.